Well, good morning, church. My name is Ike Nicholson, and I'm uh, the senior pastor here at South Suburban. We want to welcome you all, especially on this great Mom's Day. My mom is actually here today, so uh, my mom's up front there. Just stay seated, Mom. So, uh, you know, the reason I am who I am is because of her, and the reason I am who I am is because of her. So uh, I'm uh, glad to have her here. Hey, uh, we want to share with you, we, we started last week doing things a little bit different uh, with the sermon time during the season after uh, Easter and this season of Easter. Easter's 50 days. Uh, the church celebrates it from now until Pentecost. Um, the celebration of Pentecost, the birthday of the church. But we're, we're in this resurrection time, and we want to be looking at uh, what happened after the resurrection, why that's important to us. And so the text that we want to share with you today comes from John chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to turn to that. John chapter 21, it's the fourth book in your New Testament. So uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, it's chapter 21. That's the big number. And then I'm going to be starting at verse 1. Those are the little numbers. And um, it's a little long, but uh, you've probably heard it before, but I think it will help us as we begin to focus a little bit today. And while you're finding that in John 21, uh, we're going to be talking, uh, this has been a tough week. It's been a tough week. Thank you for being here. And uh, Pastor Joe and I are going to be working with each other, going to be tag teaming each other. Uh, don't worry, we're not going to body slam the other, but uh, we, we, we want to work in concert with you. But we want to set the tone. Before we have that conversation with you, we want to set that tone, and John helps us do that. So if you found that, John chapter 21, <clears throat> beginning in verse 1. So this is after Jesus has been crucified. He's been raised, and this is the final appearance that Jesus uh, does to his disciples before he ascends into heaven and takes his seat at the right hand of God the Father, the Bible tells us. And so in John 21, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, now that's John speaking of himself, the writer of the gospel. He's the one that the Bible calls the one whom Jesus loved. Said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. I want you to pay attention to that. Charcoal fire in place, with the fish laid out on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. 
So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to Simon Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to Simon Peter, follow me. This ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessings and his understanding to it. Amen. Now, this is a really powerful story. And the thing is, is, is that if you were living at the end of the first century, and after John had written this gospel and it was being sent to the church, and the church would have sat down and read the gospel to the whole church, um, and by the way, they would have read the whole gospel. So, so yes, it had been, been an hour or so just reading the text, probably. And if you were hearing that text for the first time, you would have picked up on some things that would have rocked your world. Unfortunately, because today we read the Bible, especially the New Testament, in these really small sections, we don't pick up on all of the nuances that are so powerfully present and so what I'd like to do with you this morning as we begin, as we set the tone for the conversation that Pastor Joe and I want to have uh, with you, uh, we, we, we want to share this with you. I want to share this with you so that you can pick up on these things. Now, this, th- th- this whole text in John chapter 21 really is a, is a representation, if you will, a representing of what happened in John chapter 18. Now, Peter is known for several things. There's a couple things that when you hear Simon Peter, uh, son of John, by the way, he's not the son of John that wrote the, the gospel. He, his dad is named John, another John. And a, as you read this, uh, we really need to go back to some of the things that Peter is better known for. And one of the things that Peter is probably best known for, unfortunately, and I hope it's not something that I'm known for when I get old and die and, and uh, go to heaven, but that is, is that Peter is the one who denied Jesus. You remember the story. If you were here this past Maundy Thursday, the day we celebrated when Jesus gathered in the upper room to, to break bread with his disciples to institute the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, 
uh, Jesus said, someone here is going to betray me. And Peter said, I'm not going to betray you. You you know that, Lord. I, I am sold out to you. I'm not going to betray you. I will always be firm in your name. And if Jesus, you know, I, I kind of had this picture of Jesus having half glasses on looking down and said, Peter, not only are you going to betray me, you're going to betray me three times before the rooster crows. Can you imagine hearing that? Now, when, when we read that, when we leave the upper room, because as they, you remember, they leave the upper room, they go to the garden, uh, the temple guards come, Judas uh, has also betrayed Jesus. And Jesus is placed under arrest, and Jesus is dragged to the Sanhedrin, which is that it's the court of the Jewish religious leaders. And, and, and they, they, they grill Jesus, and then if you remember the Gospels, uh, they send him to the governor, uh, the Hebrew governor of the people, and he doesn't know what to do with him, sends him back to the temple officials. The temple officials then take Jesus to the Roman uh, governor, the, the, head, the, the, the empire's representative of that region. They don't know what to do with him. It's this constant going back and forth. They don't know what to do with Jesus. And now at, at when John's talking in John chapter 18, Jesus is in front of the Sanhedrin, in front of the, the court of the religious leaders. You know, the struggle is in our life is, is, is that we always believe and hope that in those moments when life will get tough, we will always stand firm, don't we? And the truth is that because of our human brokenness, because of the darkness that is so much a part of our life, we reflect what Paul says later on in, in, in the epistles and his letters when he says, you know, that which I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. I think every single one of us in this room probably have been in a moment where that's been, been definitely the case, and it's the case for Peter. Because in John chapter 18, we read what Peter is doing, and this is important, is, is that Jesus stood outside the door. So picture this in your mind. Jesus is inside the, the building, inside the room, uh, the, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, the scribes, uh, the religious leaders' assistants, they're all grilling Jesus. But Peter, he's just outside the door. We've all been in that situation. You know, we, we want to be inside with Jesus. We want to be in the midst of the crisis. We want to be uh, uh, in the midst of the brokenness. You know, I'm a, I'm a guy. Guys are definitely wired like this. We want to be the white knights. We want to be the people who are always loyal and brave and steadfast and strong. But unfortunately, in that moment, in the midst of the crisis, the, the, the closest Peter could get was outside the door, just where he could see inside what was happening. He, he knew that it was a travesty of justice. He knew what they were doing with Peter was wrong. But the only, the only close, the only, he couldn't get any closer than outside the door. We do that. This past week when, when, when Pastor Joe came into my study and said, there's been another shooting. And this time it's just down the street from, from our church. We all, myself, we, we pulled out our cell phones. That's what I did. You, you, you might have done that. And scrolled through, did a search for the video, saw the live video. For that moment in that place, that was me 
standing outside the door. I wanted to see what was going on. But what did it mean for me to, to go beyond that door? We all do this. We all find ourselves in situations where we know what we need to do, but we just can't do it. And, and let me just say with you, to build your faith on your strength, to build your faith on your faithfulness, will always, always lead to ruin. It's not my faithfulness that's the star of the show. It's God's faithfulness. It, it gets even worse as we look where Peter is, is because as Peter is standing outside, People come to him, and they say to him, Hey, I know you. You're the guy that's with Jesus, who's, who's being grilled and tried right now, aren't you? And Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not me. Here, here Peter is trying to, to, to stay out of the fray. He wants to know what's going on. He wants to be able to say, Hey, you had my thoughts and prayers. But he doesn't want to be the one that has to charge into the room and say, if you're going to find him guilty, then you'll need to find me guilty as well. doesn't say that. And what's worse, something very powerful in the Gospel of John happens because this story is in all of the Gospels of Peter's denial of who Jesus is. Is that Peter stands with them. That's important. He doesn't stand with Jesus. He doesn't even stand with the Sanhedrin. This is the struggle, brothers and sisters. We can say to ourselves, hey, I may not have stood with Jesus in your time of crisis, but hey, I wasn't standing with the priests, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees either. Unfortunately, sometimes the worst place we can stand is with them. You, you know, the other people who see injustice, the other people who saw what was happening to Jesus, the other people who see struggle in life, the other people who know that there's violence and evil in the world, but they stand back by the door with them, and they just watch. I don't know the phrase exactly, but you've heard it before, something along the lines of, the only way to let evil win is for good people to do nothing. When we do nothing. When it's not that we love or we hate, but it's when we're apathetic. Or even worse, when we allow our fear to control our actions. There's another powerful phrase in that sentence in John chapter 18. Is, is that when it's actually verse 18 of chapter 18, easy for you to remember, Jesus, uh, Peter stands with them by a charcoal fire. Now, you might not think that's important, but you will in just a minute. We'll get to that. So don't forget that. Charcoal fire, that's important. So what happens? We know the story. Jesus is found guilty. He's pushed back and forth, and eventually he's found guilty. He's crucified. He's died. Worse yet, from Peter's perspective, he's been raised again. People say, worse yet? Yeah, listen, just, just go with me for a little bit. He's raised again. 
The Bible tells us that Jesus has already appeared to them twice, resurrected, back in flesh and blood, glorified flesh and blood. And Peter does what unfortunately all of us do. He returned to his old life. I know that because in John chapter 20, verse 21, verse 1, we read that. Now, before we beat up on Peter, we got to think about it. All of the things that Peter thought was going to happen didn't happen. He has spent every waking moment with Jesus these past three years. And he believed fervently with his whole heart that all of the Hebrew people were going to receive Jesus as the Messiah. He believed with his whole heart that the Roman Empire and their oppressiveness would be thrown off the people of the Hebrew people, thrown off the Hebrews. But what really happens is none of those things. Peter's expectations are not fulfilled. What he thought it meant for the kingdom to come to pass had not come to pass. And so what did he do? John chapter 21, verse 1 says, he went back to fishing. Went up to the Sea of Tiberias, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee, which is exactly the same place where Jesus found Peter when Peter was called to be a disciple. Not only that, that all the things that happen here in John chapter 21 are the same things that happen when Jesus first called Peter to be his disciples. He couldn't catch any fish. Jesus said, throw your net on the other side of the boat. Peter catches a bunch of fish. That's how it happened when Jesus and Peter first met. That's how things are unfolding now. You know, it's easy to go back to the old life. This past week, when Pastor Joe and I were, were and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, Pastor Joe asked me at, at one point, he said, what, do you want to go back to your old life? My old life of when I used to, to serve in law enforcement? And I have to tell him, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. People asked us in the wake of that moment, they said, man, your thoughts and prayers, that, that, that's all nice and good, but didn't you want to do something? Joe said, yeah, I want to do something. I mean, I saw a violent side of Pastor Joe that I hadn't seen before. Yeah, when you're in the moments of helplessness, when you're in the moments of weaknesses, there's something I want to do. I want to take charge of the situation. The Bible tells us that it's all too human for us when we are confronted by the light to want to go back to the darkness. Why is that? That may sound real figurative to you, but if you put it into everyday life and everyday language, you'll understand what I've said. Because how many times haven't I sat with a couple counseling them through a, through a difficult relationship and the husband gets angry and leaves the room and stomps out of the room and, and then the wife says to me, she says, although I know I'm not happy, although he's violent, I at least know what tomorrow is going to be. Worse yet, people tell me, not necessarily worse, but uh, 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 additionally, people will say to me, they'll say, you know, I know I'm miserable in this job. I'm miserable in this way of life. I'm miserable with this kind of lifestyle. But at least I know it. I know what tomorrow is bringing. And the risk of, of leaving this job and launching out into something that I have no clue what it will bring, I just don't have the courage to do that, Pastor. This may be a horrible way of living, but I know what my tomorrow is going to bring. And unfortunately, the powers of darkness like us paralyze that way. Because we're afraid. Because we're fearful. 
what tomorrow might bring. Well, now, I, I shared with you all of those things about, about Peter and, and what happened when he betrayed Jesus and, and, and why those are important, because here's what happens. Jesus meets, third, third appearance after his resurrection, he meets his disciples, he meets Peter, and most powerfully, he meets Peter at the same place of Peter's failure. Jesus found Peter at the place of his failure by charcoal fire. Do you know that the phrase charcoal fire is only used twice in the Gospel of John in all of the New Testament? It's the place Peter denied he knew Jesus, and it's the place that Jesus called Peter to a new task, a new role, a new life. You know, the Gospels do a great job of sharing that image with us. When, when, Jesus, uh, uh, when Peter denies Jesus and, 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 and he says, I don't know who this guy is, I've never seen him. And some of the other Gospel tells us that on the third time when, Jesus, uh, when, when Peter denied Jesus, that Jesus looked over at Peter and their eyes met over that charcoal fire. Jesus was able to see who Peter was because of the light of that charcoal fire. Jesus could see not only Peter's eyes, but he could see into Peter's heart. He could see his brokenness. He could see his fear. Isn't it a powerful thing that Jesus comes back and meets Peter again at the same exact place over a charcoal fire, and this time looks into his heart and looks into his life not, and doesn't see who he is, but sees who he can be because of God's faithfulness. Not because of Peter's strength, but because of the faithfulness of God. Not because of Peter's courage, but because of God's faithfulness. You know, we all have those moments in life where we have neglected, where we have fallen, where we have been broken. And some of the things that we've been trying to do uh, over the past few Sundays, last Sunday I had Pastor Drew come up and share God's faithfulness in the life of South Suburban Christian Church in your life. And this Sunday, especially after what has happened in our community this past week, Pastor Joe and I want to come and share with you yet again another perspective of God's faithfulness. Pastor Joe? I got props with me today. Uh, some of you guys know I'm a sheep guy, and I'm just going to put the sheep here. And anytime there's a, uh, there's a sheep mentioned in the story, I'm thinking, I know a sheep song. I could, I could share it with everybody. Some, some of you guys know that. We're not going to do that. Um, but, I, but I know a sheep song. It was a perfect Sunday to do it. Drew wasn't here. He wouldn't pull me off the stage. Um, but we're not going to do the sheep song, if that's okay. Um, there, there's some things that we miss in this text because uh, of the translation from the Greek to English. Three times Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you, I love you, I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. And what we miss, um, because of the translation, we miss this, and it's powerful. Jesus says to Peter, looks him in the eye, says, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape love me? Do you unconditionally love me? Do you love me, no strings attached, all in, everything? Peter comes back. We miss this. But, but listen carefully. Peter says, Lord, I do love you, but I phileo love you. I love you like a brother. I Philadelphia love you. I'm not 
all there. Jesus asks Peter again, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape love me? Do you unconditionally love me? Do you love me like when the moms do it? Do you love me like that, like a mom loves a child? And I, in, in all my heart, I believe um, before the cross, before, Jesus, before Peter denied Christ three times, he would have said, yes, I am all in. I would, I would lay down my life for you, Lord. But because, of, because Peter acknowledges his brokenness now, I believe in all my heart this is why he can't say, I, I, I agape love you. Lord, I only Philadelphia love you. I only phileo love you. I only love you like a brother. Third time Jesus comes back, and this is where Jesus meets Peter where he's at. And Jesus meets us where we're at too. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you phileo love me? Do you love me like a brother? And Peter sadly acknowledges, Lord, that's all I got. Lord, I love you like a brother. Um, but then, he, then at the end, Jesus says, I, I'm going to love you right where you're at, Peter, but I want to challenge you to keep following me. And the only way we get to agape love, the only way we move from where we're at to agape love, God's love, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, and feed my sheep. I love that part of the story, and um, as we've been watching, and we've been wrestling, how has God been faithful in this place? I just want to lift up a few stories, and powerful stories, um, about God's love in this place, agape love. Three weeks ago today, we had a, um, a special service right here in this service. We baptized 11 people up in that, up in that um, baptismal font, um, and Cameron Tafoy was the last person we baptized, and Cameron, special needs, he's got Down syndrome. As, as, as Cameron came up out of the water, he said, yes, amen, uh, amen. And, and God said the same thing. Jesus says to us, do you love me? Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, and feed my sheep. Some of you guys know Annalise Springall. She's got some health issues. I understand she, she was in the hospital most of yesterday. Um, uh, she had shoulder surgery, and she was needing to move. And um, we sent out word last minute that we needed some folks um, to move her. And you guys showed up in a big way, and I just thank you for that. And we had to move her twice. We had to move her into a truck on Saturday. Then at the last minute, when the apartment became available, we had to move her in on, on Monday morning. And you guys showed up in a big way. Jesus asks us, do you love me? Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. A week ago, Wednesday, we had a celebration of life service for Denise Ginsburg's mom. Um, I'm sorry, Denise Edwards. Um, Denise is from England. Her mom passed away last month in Oxfordshire, England. She couldn't make it back for her mom's service. So there were a bunch of people, two small groups and a bunch of other people that said, we we're going to love on you, um, Denise. We're going to do a celebration of life service for her. And we, we filled the chapel. Um, and the, the really cool part was half, none of those people knew Denise's mom, obviously, but only half the people knew Denise. They came to know Denise through that service. Jesus asks us, do you love me? Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Um, in, that, in that same chapel, it was special, um, a week ago Thursday, a couple comes into my office. Thursday afternoon, unexpected, kind of a divine interruption, if you will. Um, some of you guys know the story. Um, a couple comes in and says, um, we want to get married. And I, I tell them, you know, I'm not really the wedding guy, I'm more of a funeral guy. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> but, I, but I said, I can, I can make do. And they said, uh, I thought maybe they were going to do it like in the summer or something. But they said, no, we, we've, we've messed up. We've not done it right. We want to do it right. We want God to bless this. We want to get married right now. And I said, I had a hat on at the time. I said, well, this is my funeral hat, but when I put it on backwards, it's my wedding hat. And, and we walked into the, the chapel, just me and the couple, and we made up these powerful vows. And I asked them, do you guys promise to love each other through thick and thin, through all the stuff? Do you promise to agape love each other as best you can? And they said, I do. And I, and I, I think I heard God say, yes, do, do you guys love me? Feed my lambs. Take care of my <coughs> sheep. Feed my sheep. Um, I saw it this morning. I saw people huddling around each other, praying for each other, praying for moms that are sick, praying for just stuff. People coming to me, praying for me, because it was a tough week. I, I love when I see broken people praying for broken people. I think when we do church close to being right, it is that we acknowledge our brokenness, just like Peter acknowledging his brokenness that last time. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Tuesday afternoon, um, I'd gotten a text from my wife, and she said there's been a there's been a shooting at the STEM school in in Highlands Ranch. And I went uh, to Pastor Ike's office, and I shared with him, and and both of us agreed that we should go down there. But I said to him, we should go, but I don't want to go. It's that moment when you're at the door, and you say to yourself, I don't know if I want to go through that door. It's that moment when you have to make a decision. And what's powerful is I agreed with him. I said, I don't want to go either. And the next thing I knew, we were in his car driving down. A couple of friends of mine, uh, after the event called, they knew that our church was just down the street. And they said, can you tell us how it happened? And I said, I have no clue what happened to this staff and to this church. The Holy Spirit took over. And when we went down to uh, the STEM school, which, as you know, is just down the street from us, we ran into two other groups of pastors. Uh, uh, and this may not mean much to some of you, but uh, one couple of pastors was from another Christian church, which is from a, a split-off movement of ours. <coughs> of, and then two others came from the Church of Christ Church, which is in downtown Littleton, which is yet a third split-off. And, and so, I don't know if you know this, we're part of something called the Stone Campbell Movement, boring history stuff. And the, the purpose of that movement was to bring unity of the church, and, and, and we've divided three times. That's how, that's how <laughs> life works. And, and, you know, it's our movement, it's an, another Christian church movement, and it's the Church of Christ. Let me tell you what, on any other day of the week, if the three of us saw each other, we would just look the other way and keep walking. <laughs> that's that's, that's the, how human brokenness is. And in that moment, I think God was just laughing tremendously because there were pastors from those three movements walking together into a situation that none of us ever, ever want to be in again. And all of the division and all of the brokenness and all of the arguments really didn't matter anymore. All that mattered is God's people needed somebody. And God picked three groups of people that would not have done it in any other situation in life to be together. When we walked in that day, uh, they actually had other, uh, the two other churches, they had kids that they knew were there. We weren't sure yet, 
And so they, they took off looking for their families, and Joe and I stood there, and we just said, well, let's divide and conquer. Yes. And we took off in our separate directions. Yes, um, we, we jumped in, and, and reluctantly, but we jumped in, and God took over. I mean, it was just powerful to be there, and it was, it was crazy. Uh, the first group of people um, I saw, I said, do you guys have students at STEM? And they said, yes. And I said, hey, let's, let's pray together. And I, and I, this is a picture that has gone all over the country. Uh, I had a friend, a fraternity brother I hadn't seen in 30 years. He, he tracked me down um, Wednesday morning and said, hey, I think I saw you on, on the TV, on national news. Um, but we, we just prayed, I, and, and I, I told them, hey, this is how we pray at our church. And I... And they circled up, every one of them, arm in arm, and we prayed. We just prayed that God be with us. We don't know what's going on, and it's scary. We're scared. Just be with us. Help us through this. And we loved on a bunch of folks. We, we walked around. We, um, Ike and I would, would bump into each other every once in a while. Pastor Ike stands above the crowd, so I could always tell where he was. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was powerful. Um, Pastor Ike, you want to share just bumping well, into some police? As many of you know, I served in law enforcement, so I'm, I'm always interested in, in law enforcement. was a chaplain for the local police department in my previous city I served. And, you know, cops are, well, they're not the most touchy-feely in the world, as, as you might imagine, and, except when they're out of uniform. When they're out of uniform, they're, they're normal people, just like everybody else. And there was a group of police officers from all different agencies there, and and I, for good or for bad, am not generally intimidated by that. And so I just walked over into the midst of them and said, hey, would you guys huddle up? I'd like to pray for you. And they all just stood there and stared at me. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm six foot four and, and heavier than most of you and uh, <laughs> wasn't deterred. And, and finally, one of them said, okay. And so they all came together and we put our arms around each other. And in that moment, we prayed. And after we prayed, about two or three of them said a word which literally means, may it be so, or it shall come to pass. You know the word simply in its original language, amen. They prayed amen. At another point when we uh, found another group of people, and you know, <clears throat> you don't really care who people, what, what color they are, what their religion is, it, they just, all you see is their tears. And what the image that's been burned into my soul is what I see was them furiously trying to get information on their cell phones, texting, wanting their children to call back or text back as quickly as possible. None of them had heard where their kids were yet. They were just, they were, they were shaking with fear. And so we, when we got together and prayed, and you know, I know you're not supposed to do this, but occasionally when we're praying, I might like open an eye and peek around. <laughs> And in that moment, it struck me. There was a gentleman over there in the, that side of the circle who that had a yarmulke on, you know, the, 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 the thing that an observant Jew wears. Just a, a person or two down from him was a, a Middle Eastern man with a long beard and shaved head, presumably a, a Muslim. He, he looked like it. Uh, um, and then a bunch of Christians. And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, in this moment, we got a Jew, a Muslim, and a bunch of Christians praying together. And even though we may understand God differently, that, that's not what I was thinking about. What I was thinking about is, is that there they were a bunch of people who would normally look at each other distrustingly, but in that moment, all we wanted was God. Yes. All we wanted was the faithfulness of God for him to come into our midst. 
you know, we, we would look for people that were crying and we would come up to them and say, um, you're doing okay and um, love on them, pray with them. Um, uh, some of you guys probably think I'm a pretty social animal. I'm, I'm an outgoing guy, extrovert, but um, yeah, whatever. I, I'm really a closet recluse. <laughs> and and in, in the midst of the craziness, I, I just had to get away from the fray for, for a while, just out of the flow of traffic. And it was just packed. You know, there's 1,800 kids at the school. There's at least 3,600 people there praying and, and waiting and hoping to hear some information. At first, I thought everybody had, you know, because of cell phones, I thought maybe everybody knew that their kids were okay, but that was not the case. And... Um, I, I kind of backed out of the fray up against the wall, and there was another gentleman that came up next to me. And I, uh, I asked him, how, how are you doing? And, and he said, okay. And he asked me, how am I doing? And, um, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm good. And I asked him if he had a student at the school. And he said, yes, I've got a daughter there, and I've not heard from her yet. His name was Todd. And I grabbed Todd's arm shoulder to shoulder against that wall, and I prayed, I prayed with Todd for Todd. And then as we said, amen, Todd remembered that he had nuclear radiation treatment that morning, and he was supposed to stay an arm's length away from, 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 from people, and we both stepped away from each other. Um, and I asked him, what's, what's going on with you? And he said, I, I have stage four bone cancer. This morning, they implanted these nuclear beads in, in my body, um, um, praying that it, praying that it, that it, that it takes, that it works. Um, we started talking just a little bit more. He said, I, I live close by to the Northridge Rec Center. I said, I, I do too. And he said to me that I'm looking for a church. And I said, uh, I took out a business card. And I said, I work on commission. If you come, tell them, tell them I sent you. <laughs> um, um, you know, I, I joke about that. But, uh, you know, when I was a, a young pastor, I, I was never a young pastor. I started at 40. But when I was a younger pastor, I would think part of my job was to fill these seats and I realized along the way that my job was not to fill the seats. Jesus was saying to me, do you love me? Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, and feed my sheep. Um, do you want to pick up the rest of the Todd story? <laughs> so I come over and uh, I see Joe and I walk over. And, and so Pastor Joe tells me about Todd and, and his, uh, his cancer. And I always carry anointing with oil with me everywhere I go. We'll, we'll go to amusement parks with the kids and I'll have to I need chapstick, breast spray, because that's a preacher's other, you know, preacher needs Bible, breast spray, definitely, <laughs> and, uh, and, and anointing oil. I carry this everywhere I go. Never leave home without it. So I said, Todd, can I anoint you? And he said, yeah. So I anointed him in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, that your sins be forgiven, your body be whole, you may serve Christ in his church. Amen. And then he, he and I just embraced and we hug. And, and as, as, he, as Pastor Ike is hugging Todd, Todd and I make eye contact. <laughs> and, and we both smile and say, I'll tell him later about the nuclear radiation treatment. <laughs> it, was, it was a moment, you know, in the midst of the craziness that we both smiled and said, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll be okay. Well, the good news is, is I, we're pretty sure my wife and I won't be having any more children. <laughs> we're pretty sure of that. <laughs> now, let me tell you the rest of the story, though. Because even though, uh, uh, you know, Pastor Joe's picture was in the paper and on national news, we weren't the star. No. God's faithfulness was the star. And let me tell you something else. While that was going on, Becky, our youth, uh, our youth minister, and, and Debbie, our children's minister, were on the phone calling their families. Getting, cause we weren't sure. Getting as much information as they could about families connected to this church that were connected there. 
They were getting that information to our office staff, uh, Mona and Margaret and, and, and Laura, and, and they were getting that information as quickly as possible to Pastor Joe and to me. And not only that, Austin and Pastor Drew were here at the church in, in case somebody walked in. They were present and ready uh, for any people that might be coming here looking for prayer, looking for support. Not only that, but you guys started calling the church. You started telling us about people who are connected to the STEM school. You were asking, what can I do? Uh, bringing lunch, bringing food, uh, reaching out to people. The most powerful thing in that moment is none of you were standing at the door. That's what I loved so much about you. Every single one of you came in the room and stood in the midst of the confusion and the violence and the evil. And you were not just asking what I can do, what can I do? You were actually doing stuff. I know that you guys have been through tough times. All of us have. In our personal lives, divorces, job losses, financial struggles. This church has been through a time of, of change and, and transition. But in the midst of all of that, there's one thing that Pastor Joe and myself want you to know. God is faithful. And it's not our strength that wins the day. It's not our courage. It's simply allowing God to use us so that his will can be done. Thank you for not just standing at the door, but walking through and standing next to people who just needed your support and your love. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we celebrate your faithfulness. We celebrate your power and your presence in our midst. And I thank you, not only for this church, but for every church in this community who rallied around people of different faiths and folks with no faith at all so that your spirit could minister to those in need. We celebrate you, O oh God, for you are our reason. It is in you that we live, move, and have our being. In the name that is above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And the church said,